Hello, and welcome to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast, a resilience podcast where we talk about all the challenging things that we're working to overcome, like anxiety, health, and relationship issues. My name is Sarah. I'm excited this week to speak with Rachel Shumway. Rachel is a coach and the founder of the Badass Academy. I'm excited to speak with her and dive into her work on mindset and how to be our best selves. I want to pick her brain on some of the big issues that she has struggled with, such as divorce, ADHD, and binge eating. Also to talk about how she handles transitions and learn a little bit more about the Badass Academy. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Rachel Shumway. Do you love the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast? Well, first of all, thank you so much. Second of all, if you love the podcast and you want more and more to keep coming, I would love your support through Kofi.com. Kofi.com is a way that you can put a little money towards your favorite podcast. It can be as little as a few dollars, one time, bunch of times, whatever you feel that you can give. And it helps to cover all the costs that go associated with podcasting. So if you would like to support this podcast, please consider donating through Kofi.com. You can find the link in my Instagram feed under Linktree. It's at Sarah Lady Gluten, or you can visit Kofi, K-O hyphen fi.com slash learning to slay the beasts. I appreciate your support, whether you can give or not. Thanks so much for listening. So welcome, Rachel, to the podcast. I'm happy to connect with you today. Hello, happy to be here. Great. So why don't we start with you providing a bit about your background and then how you got into coaching? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'll try and keep it short. I feel like my whole life story has kind of led up to being this um, person that is very well positioned to help people because I've gone through a lot of crazy life experiences. So I um, basically, I got married when I was 19. I was married for five and a half years. I got divorced. I checked that box. I lived across the world in China for three years. I checked that box living abroad. So by the time that I turned 26, I had visited 12 countries, been married and divorced, had a lot of health issues, um, like with sleep and with food and with fitness and navigated a faith crisis and done all of these kinds of crazy things. And then I also have a background in psychology. That's what I studied in university. I studied exercise and wellness and did a minor in psychology. So I was kind of into the personal training, training in the fitness field at that time. And then when I moved to China, switched a little bit more into education and teaching and workshopping and and things like that. So when COVID hit last year, um, I had kind of been thinking about like starting a business and going into coaching a little bit, was talking pretty heavily about um, getting certified. And then when COVID hit, it was kind of like the world shut down. I was living in China at the time. Um, Oh, wow. And so, yeah, it was like, what are my options here? I can stay here and like work illegally. I can stay here and like study Chinese online. Both of those options seemed absolutely like a bad idea. So I decided to get certified. And then I started teaching um, workshops on different soft skills and helping people like kind of keep their bearings um, during COVID in the beginning. And I was like, you know what, I really do love this. And at that time, it was kind of when all of the pieces of my life started to come together. I was like, Oh, perfect. 
here's a career that I can make work um, with my random bits of information and my teaching skills and like have a business and also be able to help people have really good mental health at the same time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. That sounds like um, kind of where you were headed, but you just didn't know yet. Um, yes. <laughs> and so you moved back to the US then? Yeah, I moved back about three weeks ago. What is it now? Almost October. So yeah, I've been back about three weeks and it is beautiful. Life is so easy here in comparison to China. <laughs> oh, wow. So you are right in in that fresh newness transition phase. Um, one thing I wanted to touch on is you had mentioned previously like that you had struggled with ADHD until you really discovered that it's your superpower. And so I guess I just wanted to dig into a lot of the people that are listening may have children with ADHD or may have it themselves and just kind of how it's impacted your life. And then if there's any advice that you can have for listeners in terms of how to make it their superpower. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the first thing I think to understand with ADHD is it's not a brain programming flaw. It's a different kind of wiring. We, people with ADHD, do super, super well in things that we find interesting. Mm. So, for example, something that I'm learning about right now is trauma. And I can read books for hours and hours and hours on the roots of trauma, the effects, the indicators, the healing, and just be completely absorbed in this because right now my brain finds this interesting. Mm, mm -hmm. When I was growing up and when I was in the classroom, my teacher was, you know, talking about history or something. And I knew that I should pay attention. I knew that, you know, I was going to make the teacher angry if I didn't, but I just, my brain was just like, yeah, we know it's important. Like, you know, we should kind of do what the teacher says, but I just don't care. That's like what the brain kind of says in the background. And so forcing myself into that where most people are kind of able to gently coax themselves, if you will, into Mm -hmm. focusing and, and, and listening to something that the brain doesn't find interesting ADHD brains are like, yeah, no, we just don't really care. So that's where the problem normally comes in, quote unquote, is if you're in a classroom setting and you have to listen and you have to, you know, be engaged, that's when like the fidgeting starts because your brain and your Mm. body are literally like fighting with themselves. It's like, this is so boring. We don't want to be doing this. So learning to first recognize that, you know, it's not a lack of attention It is an ability to hyper-focus on the things that we find interesting, and the brain just doesn't really care about other things. So learning how to use that as a superpower is step one, identifying what things are interesting. And the way that you know that, that it's interesting is literally like, I just, it's like your brain lights up and it's like, oh, I want to learn about that. Okay let's go. And from an outside perspective to somebody that does not have an ADHD brain, it seems super scattered all over the place. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. But from the inside, it's really picking up little bits of information here and there. And then the brain is, it's like you're marinating chicken, right? Like you put in a little bit of salt, a little bit of pepper, a little bit of paprika, and then You just let the chicken marinate and out pops this incredibly deliciously flavored chicken. (laughs) So in the idea world, it's like we're picking up little 
bits and pieces of information here and there and letting it marinate and then presenting the information, presenting the idea in a whole new process, a whole new way of doing things that people wouldn't normally think of because our brains make different connections in very new and exciting ways. So in learning to use this as a superpower, I would offer, right, choose something that is interesting and allow yourself to trust that there is a direction, there is a method to the madness, if you will, um, and allowing yourself to be different because from that is really the only way that you're going to be able to learn what does work, how you focus, how you structure your time, how you manage your energy, um, by just really taking off all of the expectations that we should learn in A, B, or C way, because it just, it just doesn't work for us. Um, which I think is a lot easier to do when you are an adult and you have the mm -hmm. flexibility to do so, um, yeah. which is mainly where my expertise lies, not as much um, in children with ADHD, but more in adults is allow yourself to, as my coach says, follow the crumbs of your curiosity and see what comes of it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, yeah, that definitely is the challenge that so the school system isn't necessarily always set up that way. But I can see like, for sure, in adulthood, you know, you could get into certain careers, well, maybe like coaching, um, where you have that ability to follow what you're interested in a little bit more. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And even if you're not an entrepreneur, there's so much room for presenting your ideas, adding value to your organizations mm -hmm. and just being like, hey, I noticed these two things as I was, you know, off in La La Land or whatever, like these two ideas, is this valuable? And like presenting it from a place of power and like, look, I know you guys think I'm crazy. I say this all the time <laughs> to my colleagues. Sometimes it's like, look, I know you guys probably think I'm crazy, but I noticed this and I noticed this. And I really think if we did it this way, it would it would make the process more efficient. Mm. Like, oh my gosh, it totally makes sense. So like trusting yourself too, I think is a big part of the process um, and taking that pressure off of yourself to, to do things exactly the same way that everybody does because it's not linear. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, I like that. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so one other thing that you mentioned kind of in your background is that you were divorced, um, you know, fairly, fairly quickly, fairly young age. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's not something we've explored a lot on the podcast. But I wondered, how has that impacted your mindset and your coaching? And then what did you learn from that experience? Yeah. So, I mean, learning first and foremost is never predict what you're going to do in your future. And like, I learned just to never say that I would never do something. Mm. Growing up, I was always like, you know, I would never get divorced. I would never do that. I was a little bit like, I guess, judgmental in the beginning towards people that had different life experiences. I really learned how to have compassion for myself and for other people because we never know where life is going to take us. Life throws so many unexpected things and we have to be open to making decisions that might be different than the ones that we had planned for. Um, I learned boundaries, how mm -hmm. we all have you know, the ability to sense when a red flag comes up. I think we've all can speak to this, right? Is like we've been having a conversation with somebody 
or we've been in a relationship with someone, romantic, friendship, familial, whatever, that something happens and they don't handle it, you know, in, in a way that we are really available for being treated. And we sense like a little red flag go up, but then we kind of ignore it. It's like, oh, you know, sometimes we make, we make excuses. It was just a misunderstanding, which of course, like there are obviously misunderstandings, but then there are times that we ignore the red flags. And so I learned a lot of the, how do I say this, cues physiologically in my body of when something is not right. Mm-hmm. Little, like, like I feel kind of like a squelching feeling in my chest sometimes when a boundary has been crossed. And so I've learned to look out for that sensation to know of like, is this a misunderstanding or is this person trying to take advantage of me in some way? And at the same time, like learning how to navigate that in a way that leaves the relationship open for exploration and doesn't put me in danger or the other person of saying things that may not need to be said or won't lead to necessarily like helpful relational outcomes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, that makes sense for sure. Boundaries are such a tricky one. It's something I struggle with myself. Like mm-hmm. sometimes you're not sure, like, are you just not being, you know, flexible enough? Or, you know, for me, it's often I'm like, am I not being spontaneous enough? Or do I have to just be like, no, this is kind of a clear boundary for myself to kind of protect my time, my health, all that kind of stuff. And and it can be really hard. I guess any mm-hmm. other tips or advice in terms of really setting those up in a strong way or or how to even start to begin to know where you need boundaries? Oh my gosh. So those are both amazing questions. Um, the first, the answer to the first question um, is like, set the boundaries ahead of time. That's my biggest advice mm. is look at and decide before something happens, how you want to be treated. So Like I'm moving back to the States, right? I'm in the dating scene. And so this is something that I've asked myself is like, how do I want to be treated? What am I unavailable for? And so one example was like, if this person like tries to kiss me on the first date, I decided that for me, unless I'm like a 10 out of 10, it's going to be a no. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of play it out in my mind of like, what do I think might happen? Like if, if I say no, and then the guy continues to pressure me, what would I do? And I just decided I would be like, yo, back off. And then if he continues to pressure me, this is how I'll protect myself. I'll call somebody. And so it's, it's kind of exploring in your mind in some cases, like the worst case scenarios of what you don't want to happen and how you will have your own back there. Focusing on what behaviors will you implement to, put yourself in, in t- back into safety. It's not, I'm going to say this and I'm going to get really angry at this person so that they stop. That's trying to control the other pe- person. That's manipulation. And that's not actually like setting yourself up for safety. So what I did is I made like a really long list, just kind of did like a brain dump of the fears. That's another way that you can look at it. It's like, what fears do you have? Are they rational? Are they based on um, like feeling really solid in who I am? Or is it like kind of based on what I think the other person is going to be doing? So examining your intention, and I think just playing around with it, honestly, but making a list of like, if this person does this, this is what I will do. 
if this person mm-hmm. is smoking in the car, I will ask them to stop the car so I can get out. Like if somebody punches you in the face, you'll call the police. That's a pretty clear boundary, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. kind of exploring it in more nuanced ways and asking yourself, where are the places that I normally say yes when I really mean to say no? And to answer like that question of how do you know what boundaries need to be set is how do I feel like I'm not really showing up in full authenticity to who I am and what I desire? What would it look like if I was willing to, you know, maybe disappoint somebody so that I could say yes to myself? Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Glennon Doyle's work at all, but she she basically has this quote of, of like, disappoint as many people as possible because when you say yes to somebody to avoid disappointing them, ultimately you're disappointing yourself. And then you're showing up in this relationship where you're not really being your authentic self. You're kind of resenting the other person for quote unquote, making you do something. And that's not really a healthy foundation for a relationship either. So it's really like being willing to say, look, I'm just, I'm not available for this. Um, Maybe presenting options, maybe not, but knowing that at the end of the day, like, it's my job to have my own back and nobody else's. Mm-hmm. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yes, I do like Glennon Doyle. She's uh, quite a thought leader and, um, you know, has some amazing wisdom, I guess, to share. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense, I think. Um, you know, it, it, it can be so tricky and nuanced, you know, but I like the scenario idea to, to try to break it down like, okay, I know this is not where I want to end up. So, you know, here, here's the kind of some instances that I could do things differently or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Have you read my novel Pendulum by S.E. German yet? If not, what are you waiting for? And if you have, I would love to hear from you. If you don't know about Pendulum, it's a heartwarming story about a young boy who starts to experience neuropsychiatric symptoms after an infection. We follow the boy as he goes through many regular, real middle grade issues like moving, having a crush, playing sports, also while experiencing neuropsychiatric symptoms like anxiety, OCD, tics, panic attacks, and more. If you're interested in checking out Pendulum by S.E. German, it is available through Amazon Worldwide, where you can even see a preview of the book, or you can listen to chapter one, which is on episode 64 of the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast. I hope you enjoy the novel, and thanks for your support. Um, So then you also mention on your website that you've struggled in the past with binge eating, and it's one of the most challenging things that you've dealt with. And I've really struggled with that as well. Um, You know, throughout different stages of my life, it's it's such a challenge. And we know that that can often come through... um, a lot of the the diet culture where maybe you're even restricting and then you're binging and it's kind of becomes this this crazy cycle. And so I guess I just wondered if you, you know, wanted to touch on some of the journey that you've had there, what what made it so challenging and maybe where you are now. Yeah, totally. And I'll start out by saying too is like every person's journey is so so different and so mm-hmm. varied and the root causes of, you know, the first time that we binge vary so much for person to person. I remember, 
you know, reading books and listening to podcasts, trying to understand, like, where is this coming from? And for some people, it was like, it was rooted in in a trauma as a defense mechanism. For some people, it, you know, you start with dieting, and then it leads to binging. So like, Mm -hmm. with that in mind, for those listeners that are struggling with this, notice that there's no, like, it's a puzzle for every single one of us. And there's no right timeline and there's no right way to do it. And you are, at the end of the day, the authority on the root causes for you, where it's coming from and how to proceed with your recovery. Um, And it's useful to hear other people's stories, but to compare Mm -hmm. and shame based on someone else's journey is not useful and please don't do that. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And it can be like totally different at different times in life, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, you know, depending on where you're at. So, yeah, absolutely. Totally. So, like for me where it started is I was an emotional eater. I started when I was very young and all the way through university. The first time I really really binged was when I was living in China. Um, it was I was with my ex-husband and the marriage was very tumultuous (laughs) is the word that comes to mind. And I just remember feeling so trapped in that relationship. He walked out of the house one day and the thought came into my mind is like, if I eat all of his like special candy that he brought from the U.S., it's going to really piss him off. (laughs) So I'm going to do that. And it was so strange because I could see myself. I was like eating and punishing myself at the same time through the actual food and also with the thoughts that I was having. And I didn't feel any better after, but it numbed the helplessness that I felt in that moment. So it kind of started from there and then um, became a coping mechanism at some point because what what I learned later on is that the only reason why we binge, and this is a philosophy that I ascribe to 100%, there are no exceptions to this rule ever. The only reason that I ever binge and ever did binge is because I had the urge to binge. I didn't mm-hmm. binge the first time, like maybe the first time is a little bit different, but every time after that is like something would happen, I would feel upset and then I would feel an urge to binge and that's what would lead to it. There are a lot of times that I feel upset and I don't have the urge to binge, so I don't. So learning to look at it through that lens of how do I handle the urges to binge? Where do they come from? Sometimes it is a biological, um, what's the word? Protection mechanism. Like if you are dieting restrictively, the binge is actually a biological reaction and it's a physical binge. Like the urge is usually from the neck down you usually feel in your chest, in your ribs. Um, and it feels like, like a primal survival drive. That's the physical, um, binge urge. And you can learn to take care of that by actually by eating enough, which is really scary for people that are, um, binge eaters because we think like, I'm going to overeat, but learning how to eat like less often or sorry, more often, but in smaller quantities to kind of allow your nervous system to reset is really, really, really takes care of those binge urges. And then the other side is the emotional side of that coping mechanism from if you have a long day and you want to like numb out the boredom or the stress or something, sometimes a binge does have that effect, right? You eat a lot of food, 
all of the blood goes to your digestive tract in t- instead of being in your body and, and sensing that emotion. So it provides temporary relief, very temporary. And then, of course, on the other side is you have to deal with the shame and all of the negative self-talk that comes from having done that when it's not really aligned with yourself or your highest goals. So um, sorry, that was like a big tangent. I don't know if I actually answered the question or not, but I just feel like it's so it was so useful for me to learn how much of binge eating is is truly is a biological process. It's not a moral flaw. It's not anything that is wrong or was wrong with me, but it's it's conditioning. It's Pavlovian classical conditioning. And just like it's a learned behavior, it can also be unlearned. Oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. And is this something that you um, dig into in your coaching business? I do. Yeah. Um, I'm able to work with a lot of different clients. Some of them come with me, come to me for binge eating. Um, and that was kind of where I started out was really focusing on that process, but I've branched out into um, emotional health a little bit more, but for sure, um, with people that want to do weight loss, always binging ends up coming up. So, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so in terms of where you're at with your journey, like, would you say like you've kind of recovered at this point? Yeah, I mean, that's a tricky word too, because recovery, I think a lot of times we meet, like we start to think, I never do it. It's been like two years. It's like, where where is the benchmark for recovery, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, like I do still binge, but it's not the same as when I was in the thick of it. I am very aware of my triggers now. I know what kinds of emotional states and I know how to identify that in my body and there's different metrics too of how you how you measure progress. Like the way that I binge now is like very infrequently and I catch myself in the middle most of the time and I'm like, what am I doing? And I'm I'm able to just walk away. Versus having it be like a thing where you binge and then three weeks later you're still beating yourself up for it. So it's a very fluid timeline, but every single time it's like you binge better. You learn how to get off the shame train faster. So if I binge, I'm off the shame shame train within an hour. I know how to get myself through that process to learn what happened and to set up more measures so that it doesn't happen in the future. And so at this point, I do consider myself recovered, even though it is something that still happens occasionally, because the learning process and how I care for myself in that is that of a a quote unquote recovered individual. But I think it's different for everyone. And it's really important to keep that in mind too, is like progress is progress is progress is progress. And if you keep on the progress train, you will get there. Okay. Yes. No, that sounds really promising, I guess, for those of us who are challenged in that area, for sure. Um, you know, you mentioned in, in sort of your background there that you've went through a number of transitions and even currently just kind of moving back to the U S. Um, and I guess I'm thinking about the divorce, your, you know, separation and many of us go through transitions like this, you know, whether it's divorce, whether it's becoming a parent, moving, maybe a death, changing careers. So I wondered if you have any advice that you've learned through these transitions, um, you know, in order to help people to move forward successfully. Yeah, for sure. So I mean, the first thing, right, is noticing what the transition is. 
is it, it's, so it's coming to a decision first, right? So take, um, take a divorce, for example. The first part of the transition is the pre-decision part of coming to decide, is this something that I'm going to do or not? And do I like my reasons? So if you decide, yes, I'm going to get a divorce, I find it really, really, really useful to um, not, obviously, don't make that decision in a moment. It's think it through, process it as much as you can. I mean, obviously, if you're in a physically dangerous situation, that's different. Um, and get yourself to safety um, as as needed. But in, in, you know, I think most of the time when, when, when divorce happens, this is just an example, it's like, you start thinking about it. And then years down the line is when you make that decision. So I consider that whole period, a transitionary period. So noticing what the thoughts are, noticing what the fears are and coming up with a plan for how you're going to deal with that. So for some people, it's like family, right? Um, how am I going to handle this conversation with my family? Just come up with a plan because in that whole time, you're being very intentional. You're being a lot more aware and caring for yourself in the process. Now, once that decision is made, then you want to kind of plan ahead, anticipate the obstacles, know the things that you need to do. So journaling, making lists of like different variables, things to do, things to handle, coming up with obstacles and strategies for how you're going to care for yourself during that process is really useful. And I think the number one thing overall is stay present. Hmm. You can plan everything out. You can anticipate all kinds of things, but the last thing that you want to do is go through this transitionary time and then get to the end point. So if like you're moving, it's like you get to the house or, you know, the divorce papers are signed or whatever, and then like kind of lose it because you've been restrict, like, what's the word? Sorry. Like, like rigid about, yeah, yeah, very rigid and like kind of holding yourself together Mm -hmm. and then just falling apart when you get there. And you can counteract that by staying really, really present and honest with your experience in the moment. If it's a hard day, okay, give yourself more rest. If you're moving, don't try to do it in a week's time. Give yourself a little bit more time to allow the day-to-day process of going about things be something that's doable and manageable because it is a transition and depending on what it is, it's going to be exciting at times. It's going to be fun at times, but for sure it's a roller coaster. So you want to be really present with yourself and your mind and your mental health and your body during that time. And always asking yourself and checking in, how do I feel right now? What do I need? And how can I proceed in a way that like serves the end goal and serves me? Okay, no. So getting a plan together, that that seems like the key piece. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm just thinking too, like with COVID, I think people have had a lot of transitions. And so this could be really helpful in terms of, okay, you know, we've got to do something new again, or now we're back to this and, and kind of having that plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, even before COVID, things are, th- things have always been uncertain mm-hmm. in the world. I like to think of it that way. It's like, yeah, there's COVID, but it's not actually any more uncertain than it was before. There's just like a couple new uncertainties that we're having to learn how to navigate. 
which I find really empowering. Because if we've made it this far with the, with this degree of uncertainty, it means we're equipped to navigate this as well. It's just using the tools in different ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so one of the other things I wanted to touch on was I know that you founded the Badass Academy, which I totally love the name. I think it's <laughs> really fun. Um, and I'm sure you get a lot of people that are um, excited to join. So I wondered if you wanted to dig a little bit further into um, the, the coaching that you do in there. I noticed on the website, it said there are three pillars. Um, and I just thought maybe you could sort of explain a little bit more about uh, the Badass Academy. Yeah, of course. So I work one-on-one with people that want to achieve a goal. So it's general life coaching, which means just like if you would go to a general surgeon to kind of like (laughs) look at your pancreas, look at your spleen, look at the different areas of life. And then the surgeon will be like, okay, we could do this in this area, this in this area. It's a very holistic approach. So I do a similar thing with my clients. They have a goal. Um, And then we look at different areas of their life and how their decision-making process is playing in to either help them or hinder them from achieving the goal. We look at their mindset, their emotional health, the things that they're doing and their habits on a day-to-day basis, and then the mindset and feelings and things that they would need to do on a day-to-day basis to actually achieve that goal. So it's really digging into where they're at now and where they want to be. And then coming up with a protocol or a plan for the skills that they would need to implement. So if this was a weight loss client, for example, it would be like I weigh 200 pounds and I weigh 200 pounds because I'm overeating in the evenings. I am, you know, numbing myself when I feel bored. Maybe I'm binging occasionally. I find myself going out to dinners and eating more than I need and not listening to my hunger signals. Um, I feel a lot of the times out of control. I feel bored. I feel shame or judgment. And, and that's because, you know, I'm thinking that I just can't do it. So it's first like understanding really, really at a, at, at a deep level, where is this person and why? And then where would they need to be? So they would have to, you know, for example, feel a little bit more confident feel more confident in their ability to navigate this, feel more self-love, feel more, maybe more commitment to their goal, more willing to experience the the discomfort of hunger or willing to be the only one that goes to dinner and doesn't order dessert. You know, just kind of examples of where they would have to be, who's this person that they would have to become. And then set up different, you know, protocols. Do we want to look at planning your food? teaching you how to, you know, allow an urge for a food without fighting it with willpower, because that never ends up actually leading anywhere. (laughs) Learning your physiological signals. When are you hungry? When are you full? Learning how to navigate that so that you are actually learning how to fuel your body. And once they learn those skills, the outcome is going to be losing weight. So that's kind of the process that I go through. And I love it because it's applicable to any goal. And it really allows us to dig into these pillars of badassery, which are authenticity, really owning what it is you want, not because you should, not because somebody says you have to weigh a certain amount, make a certain amount of money, have a certain kind of relationship. But what is it that you truly, truly, truly want at the end of the day? Vulnerability, which is the second pillar of, you know, I know this can be hard. I know I'm going to have to try new things. I might have to put myself out there in a new way. 
And that means that I might get rejected. I might fail and that might really hurt, but I'm willing to do that because on the other side of that is the goal and the thing that I truly want is the person that is the next level of me, the person that I can become, that I know that I can be. And that's the third pillar is dreaming big and allowing yourself to want big things, want badass things for your life. And that doesn't mean like you're over here being perfect all the time. It means embracing the human experience of the ups and downs and the highs and lows and learning to create a life that you love, but not so that you can love yourself, but because you love yourself, you create your life as an outcropping from that. Mm-hmm. So do you ever find that clients come in and they know that they want change or they know they want to move towards you know, feeling better, but they can't, they don't even know their goal. Like, you know, you talked about initially kind of your, your, your coaching to achieve a goal, um, and then thinking about what it is, but do you ever have that where like, they're not even sure what it is? Yeah. Sometimes that does happen. Like I'll ask, what is it that you really desire for your life? And they'll say, I just want to feel content. Yeah. And so, yes, I think that's true because at the end of the day, like, why does anybody want to make a certain amount of money is because they think that amount of money will make them feel proud. So at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, like what we really do want is the feeling that the thing will provide. But I find that usually when people don't know, it's because they're doubting their worthiness to have it or doubting their ability to achieve it. So I like to reframe it and be like, okay, if you could have anything in the world, there were no obstacles. It was like a genie gives you a magic lamp then what would you want? Then it's always like, oh yeah, like I would want the house or I would want this or I would want that. And I would want it because, and it's at at the end of the day, it always boils down to the evolution. Who am I becoming? How am I living? How am I feeling? How am I feeling on a day-to-day basis? Um, But I, I think I truly believe everybody knows what they want. We've just been conditioned to not want it. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, and I do think that it changes. I think, you know, maybe what you want at 20 versus 30 versus 40, 50, you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. That, that, yeah, I could see this process happening many times throughout life just as you change. For sure. And it's like what we want as children obviously is not the same as adult because we're growing, we're changing, we're evolving. And I think once we get to a certain point, we're able to see the possibility of there being something else too. And so maybe something that we couldn't want before because we didn't know it was possible. You know, we, we grow to a point in our skill set and our emotional health and our risk aversion that it's like, Oh, okay. I feel comfortable maybe like going after this thing a little bit more because I believe I can handle it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the flip side as well, where maybe you have went down a path and then you've seen sometimes what you don't want and you're like, Ooh, I thought that that would be awesome. And now I know that that's not (laughs) for me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Cause you know, we don't know what we don't know till we don't, you know, till we know it. So, um, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's, that sounds really good. So, you know, before we wrap up, I wondered, is there anything like in terms of additional tools that you want to share with our listeners? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) without like specific context, 
it's hard to generalize. Um, my toolbox is, like I said, ADHD brain. So it's, it's lots of bits and pieces here. But I would say at the end of the day, the most important thing is to remember that the way you feel right now is never, ever, 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 ever caused by external circumstances. It's always caused by the way that you are viewing the thing. And I think that's the most empowering thing that I could leave your listeners with is that we are always the shapers of our reality and blaming and shaming ourselves or others or the circumstances is the first thing that happens to take us out of our power. And it happens all the time. That's how our brains have been conditioned. So there's space for, for compassion there. But stepping it back and always asking the question of how might I see this differently? I wonder if it's true, if this thing that I'm believing is true or not. And what, what else might be true that feels a little bit better? That would be the number one kind of question to ask yourself when you're feeling a way that you don't want to feel or trapped in any way. It's just asking yourself, okay, how am I in control and focusing on that? Because what you focus on grows. Okay, so that's kind of like a mindset almost piece as well, right? Like looking at it kind of through that different lens. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. That sounds great. So I'm sure listeners are going to be excited to learn a little bit more about you. So I am if you can let us know the best ways to find you either online, social media. Yeah, totally. So my Instagram is at the badass academy, one word, no periods. I also have a podcast that's called Not Your Basic Badass. You can find me on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or at my website, thebadassacademy.com. There's a little link in there that they can book a chemistry call, which is a one-hour session where we take a look at their goal and where they're at and where they want to go. That's how they can learn about me. And yeah, like DMs on Instagram are totally my jam. I love hearing about people's stories and just wherever they're at in the world. It's fascinating for me, so... That sounds great. Okay, I will be sure to put those in the show notes and then people can click away to um, if they want to follow up and connect with you. Thank you so much, Rachel, for your time today. Um, I think I learned definitely a lot, you know, in terms of um, different skills and different ways to look at things. And uh, thanks again. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Are you looking for a way to satisfy your sweet tooth without the filler? Try Monk Pack. They make keto granola bars and keto seed and nut bars as well as protein cookies. They come in plenty of flavors like the almond butter cocoa chip keto granola bar and the caramel sea salt keto nut and seed bar. They're great tasting, they're plant-based, gluten-free, low sugar, non-GMO, and no sugar alcohols. You can just enjoy these freely. You can go ahead and visit Monk Pack. Monk is spelled M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com. And in order to get a special discount, you can use my discount code REALLIFE15, all one word, to get 15% off your order. Visit monkpack.com today to try all of these amazing low-sugar products. 
Thank you so much to Rachel Shumway for her candid conversation. We talked about so many things that she was so open about, like her challenge with binge eating, as well as all of the transitions that she's went through. And I really appreciate her advice on how to navigate these types of situations and really how to be our best selves. If you're looking to find out more information about Rachel, she can be found on Instagram at the Badass Academy. She can be found on the Not Your Basic Badass podcast as well as her website, thebadassacademy.com. I hope that everyone is having a wonderful fall, that you've settled right in, and you're maybe even thinking a bit about Christmas. I know, personally, I'm I'm a little bit struggling. I feel like we just got over that Halloween hump, and now... Christmas is coming and I'm just, I need maybe like a week or two off. That's, that's kind of where I'm at. But I hope everyone else is enjoying this beautiful fall. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast. Please keep in mind, this podcast is not intended to be medical or professional advice. If you'd like to hear more from me, you can follow me on social media, Instagram and TikTok at Sarah Lady Gluten or Facebook Sarah underscore gluten free lady. You can also visit my website, which includes author information, speaking information, and more info on the podcast at www.se-german.com. If you like the podcast, please feel free to review the podcast on your favorite platform and also subscribe because it means that it will show up for you every week on your favorite podcast platform. Also, we've just started to have the ability to support the podcast. You can find this link in my Instagram bio or visit ko-fi, ko-fi.com slash learning to slay the beasts. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.